Welcome to This Week in Lotus. The weekly roundtable discussion of all things social, collaboration, technology and community. Here's your host, Stuart McIntyre. This Week in Lotus, episode 73, recorded on Friday 14th of October 2011. Interviewing a star... In the departure from my usual format, Alan Lepofsky joins me to discuss the role of an analyst, the state of the social collaboration marketplace, the new connections entitlements for notes and donor customers, and much, much more. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. You can find this and other tech-related podcasts at techpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to This Week in Lotus. We're back for episode 73 of the Weekly Lotus podcast. Um, it's a bit of a different episode this week because Darren's away at, at the uh, conference that used to be called Lola uh, and we struggled to get some other uh, guests but we are absolutely delighted to have on a, a very good friend of Twill, uh, Alan Popsky. Hi there, Alan. Hi, Stuart and listeners. How are you today? Yeah, I am excellent. Thank you. It's a beautiful sunny afternoon here in the UK so we're enjoying the uh, October weather. How's oh, things yeah. in Toronto? Uh, Toronto is a gray day today, but uh, I can't complain. We've had a prolonged summer and I'm going to be doing a bunch of travel out to the West Coast. So hopefully I'll get to see a little more sunshine. Okay, oh, that's great. Well, of course, things have changed a bit in your world, haven't they? I mean, the last time we spoke to you with social techs, I think you've moved on now. <laughs> there, It has been a, a very eventful month. So yes, I have uh, t- taken the jump uh, to the next stage of my career and I have... Um, begun working as an analyst at Constellation Research Group, the sort of boutique research and analyst firm run by Ray Wang, who um, formerly was of the Altimeter Group. He started Altimeter with Charlene Lee and Jeremiah Oyang, and then left Altimeter to form Constellation. So I'm one of uh, about 20 analysts working there now, and the uh, only one sort of primarily covering the enterprise 2.0 or social or whatever we want to call it, the, uh, the, the space that we all live in. Absolutely. So, so what prompted the move from you know, being a software vendor to a researcher and this group? That's a, it's a great question. Well, you know, if I look at the progression of my career, I sort of went from the, the big vendor at IBM for, as everyone knows, you know, the primary, uh, the predominant part of my career, 14, 15 years, took the plunge to go to the Silicon Valley world to learn about the startup world. And I just, you know, sort of reached the three-year mark there, which isn't, you know, a super long career. But it, when I was at IBM, you know, I never held a job for more than a year, year and a half, maybe two years. It was always moving things around. So as far as my social text job, everything was great there, but I was just sort of getting the itch for what comes next. And when I, you know, people started talking to me and other vendors were sort of trying to lure me away and things. And I decided that moving horizontally across to another vendor kind of wasn't the mental move that I was looking at, nor, you know, did I feel it was a politically correct move to do. Um, so moving into the analyst role, I think the timing is perfect. Um, as we all know that the social space is exploding, uh, lots of things happening from not just the startup world, like it was three or four years ago, but all the big vendors, you know, IBMs of the world and, uh, you know, Salesforce and, Oracle and SAP and, you know, all the big name vendors are now trying to get into social. So I thought 
a couple things. A, hopefully I'll be able to bring my experience and, and my uh, understanding of this market from the vendor side uh, to the analyst world and maybe write a little bit differently than some of the typical analysts do and maybe give different advice to the vendors and customers than some of the typical analysts do. And uh, for myself personally, I'm just really excited to be able to cover multiple vendors. I've always spent my career you know, at IBM thinking IBM was the center of the universe and being told how evil Microsoft was. And then, you know, moving over to social text, you know, mainly having to focus on them and not being able to really, you know, publicly talk about the other, you know, startup vendors, even if I had friends that worked for them or not. So just from my own personal standpoint, I, I'm really excited to be able to actually say the pros and cons of what multiple vendors are doing. Absolutely. And, and, you know, certainly from my sort of independent point of view, I'm, I'm delighted that you've moved into this role because you've always seemed to be able to see things above those kind of vendor, um, you know, sort of vendor focused points of view in that you've always been able to see the bigger kind of world out there beyond kind of the religion that we kind of strike around some of these technologies. <laughs> and, and it's fantastic that you've moved into that. So, I mean, what, what does the kind of day to day role entail of being an analyst? What, what do you spend your time on? That's a great question. So there's going to be a, a bunch of things I'm going to be doing. I have a few primary research projects that I want to work on. I First of which would be a market overview. So it's kind of a, the standard analyst fare for establishing the way you look at things and the way you see things happening. And that would be focused on what are the big trends that are going on in the industry. So we're not getting feature specific there, but instead trying to provide you know vendors and, and customers and, and the industry in, in general our opinion, you know, what is what is Constellation and what specifically Ray and myself see as happening. So, you know, if you take, I'll just, I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, take the big ones that everybody knows. So, you know, there's a shift to cloud computing and, you know, there's a change in mobile device management where, you know, end users get to choose their own devices more often than they used to. Or, uh, you know, social analytics are becoming, you know, a very big deal. All of those things, I want to sort of talk about that they're happening, but in contrast to what I'm reading, all the other analysts say, I don't want to dive in and just say what what's happening with them. I actually want to kind of dive down deeper and say, well, this is what it actually means mm -hmm. to a CXO or to an end user. So it's one thing to talk about cloud computing and say, oh, it's this great movement away so that there's less admin overhead and your upgrades are easier and you're moving to a more SaaS model and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's all kind of straightforward. I want to talk about the things of what it means to the end user where now you have seamless access to all of your information, you know, no matter where you are, are you on your laptop or you at another workstation, are you on a mobile device? Like what does cloud mean in that? And I also don't even want to call it cloud. I want to be one of those people that actually calls it, you know, a externally hosted data center. <laughs> as, as, <laughs> as 1990 as that sounds, you know, one of my goals is to actually as much as possible, you can call me out on this two or three months from now when, when I fail, but I want to try to be as unbuzzword compliant as possible. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> my goal. Because there, there is so much of that around uh, at yeah. the moment. And, you know, uh, I was on you know, the, the launch of IBM uh, Smart Cloud this week, and yeah, it's a fantastic solution, but, but so, yeah, it's just buzzword uh, focused the entire kind of uh, announcement was. So it's great to cut through that. Really looking forward to, to that uh, report. I mean, it must involve an awful lot of discussions with vendors, I guess, to understand the background to some of their kind of public announcements uh, and a huge amount of reading, I would think. That those are the two things. So my days are spent going meeting to meeting, from briefing to briefing with vendors, some of which are on the phone and WebEx and mm -hmm. and Skype and so what uh, and so forth. 
uh, and some of which are you know live events. I'm going to be going to a lot more uh, vendor trade shows and, and events than I used to be able to do because you know when you're working for one vendor, you rarely attend other vendor shows. Um, so, you know, last week I was at two different events in Vegas. Next week I'm going to an event in San Diego. Uh, the following weeks I have a, a couple events there. So a lot of in-person, a lot of meeting the people, like you said, some of which is understanding what they're doing publicly. So some of which is just me getting up to speed with what they've said, but, uh, you know, the, and an exciting part of it is also them briefing me on what's coming down, you know, on their roadmap. So being under NDA with multiple vendors, as opposed to sort of just always knowing what cool new stuff was happening at the vendor I was working at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty excited to be able to kind of piece together that, oh, these five companies are working on this. And, you know, these two innovative companies are doing something totally different and, you know, start to just piece together all these things that people are telling me. And it's only been a couple of weeks me doing this, but I got to tell you, it's it's really encouraging how many vendors have actually reached out to me to say, we want you to know what's going on because we do think you're going to see these things differently than some of the analysts out there and you know it's not a knock on any analyst or anything it's just been exciting for me personally to have a lot of vendors be excited that i'm actually going to be doing this and and if we drill down into sort of what makes constellation different i mean yeah many listeners to this podcast will be aware of you gartner and and also we've had on this podcast people like um you know james governor from um, from red monk and uh, you know some other folks on yeah it seems like every analyst firm has its own particular take on on how they cover things. Or what what does Constellation do different to the others? Um, so yeah, so you mentioned some some great firms out there, and there are lots of them, and they kind of fall into two camps. You've got the big ones, the Gartners and the Foresters and the IDCs of the world, which are you know the traditional large consulting slash analyst houses. There's you know there's first of all there's the distinction between analysts and consultants, um, and they have a lot of great people working there. They're they're doing some great stuff, but um, in in some regards, customers and vendors kind of view them as as old school. Um, they do some great work. The magic quadrants and the wave reports are certainly this, the table stakes for for people making decisions. What Constellation and some of the smaller boutique firms are doing is, uh, you know, we're trying to focus more rapidly, more uh, on the emerging technologies that are shaping the industry. So as opposed to sort of taking a look at what people are doing today and and providing that insight, we want to be a little bit more forward thinking than maybe some of the larger firms are able to do. We want to focus on disruptive technologies. What are the things that are going to change the way a CXO level person has to view their company? So the way I look at it is the comparison of a large software vendor versus a Silicon Valley startup in what they build. Everyone knows, you know, IBM and Microsoft and the others have great people, great talent, great research, but you know, build things slower than a Silicon Valley startup that is quickly creating code. I look at Constellation versus Gartner or Forrester the same way. You've got the big companies, you know, with a lot of resources behind them producing a lot of reports, but they're a little bit more focused on the today. And you've got smaller boutique firms, a little more agile, a little more forward focusing. Um, And so that's one of the reasons I was excited about joining Constellation. Excellent. That sounds really good. And you, know, you mentioned that you know, social tech is very different to IBM in that you know, much smaller and, and much younger in terms of history. Did, did going to a, a smaller software firm give you any different kind of perspective on, on your history with IBM? Uh, I can't remember. Were you with Lotus before IBM took over? Uh, so I, I technically always worked with IBM because I was okay. IBM Canada. But it was 100% Lotus what I did. There just wasn't a Lotus division. So I was pre 
IBM in 1993, so before the 1995-1996 sort of uh, acquisition. So yes, I was doing all Lotus stuff before it happened, but I, I, my paychecks had the word IBM on it at the time. So I guess I was one of the evil people. <laughs> and then, you know, did it make you feel any differently about IBM in terms of how they ran Lotus, or, or just that the, you know, the the complexities of working for an organization that large with that many different product um, teams and brands and, and organizations and so on? Well, I guess the short version of my history there was, you know, while I was at IBM, all my roles revolved around Lotus. I was part of the IBM internal team deploying Lotus technologies, though, moving stuff off of Office Vision and Profs. And because of that, I learned a lot about the Lotus tools and was frequently flying down to Iris or Lotus at the time in Boston, and then just took the plunge after meeting all those contacts to go work over there. So I was aware of the complexities of trying to get that brand you know, made part of the larger picture. And for the first few years, uh, it was left alone, but then logically it did start to become more and more of IBM. External people are going to constantly talk about, you know, the ruining or the death of Lotus because of IBM and the rules and the red tape and the, you know, process involved. But anyone that works there and anyone who's actually honest knows Lotus, you know, wouldn't have survived without it. It, it flourished because of the giant amount of extra resources that IBM threw at it from developers to salespeople. You know, was everything perfect? Absolutely not. You know, every acquisition has its issues, but you know, I honestly think none of us would have Lotus related. Well, mine's not specifically Lotus related, but anyone that has a Lotus related career wouldn't have it if IBM hadn't taken them over back then. But I have no uh, proof of that or no crystal ball that could have predicted what the lifeline would have looked like without the IBM dollars. But I do think it was beneficial. And you see the products now benefiting from stuff that involves DB2, stuff that involves yeah. Tivoli, stuff that involves, you know, the evil web sphere, you know, world. But, uh, <laughs> But honestly, you know, all that technology, you know, politics aside, IBM, you know, ha has some some pretty smart people. Absolutely right. And of course, you know, now when you look at, uh, forgive me for mentioning it, but, you know, Gardner, uh, Gardner, Magic Quadrants and so on, you know, IBM Connections is right up there with the leaders in this space uh, that, that we're talking about today. And and I guess that wouldn't have happened, you know, without the Lotus and IBM coming together all those years ago and, and what's happened since. So first up, what would you call this space that we work in? I mean, you mentioned first, uh, first off Enterprise 2.0. Is that kind of how you would classify it? Or do you just run with whatever term makes sense to the customer or the vendor you're working with? Oh God, this is this is the uh, this is the evil question in this industry. There's lots of debates and at, at conference after conference that it tends to come up each and every time again. You know, there's, there's the Enterprise 2.0 conference itself, but then you know now it's being called social business by Jive and by IBM, and then there's you know everybody wants to put in their two cents. So I guess it's fair for you to ask me, what do I call it? I, I call it collaboration. Honestly, I don't know if that's because of my history of being old school. I won't go as old school as calling it groupware. Right. But honestly, what I think this is, is this is people working together. Uh, and, and that's what the word collaboration is. I know there's some bad blood around the word collaboration, A, because it can mean, you know, old. And there's other people that think of collaboration as people collaborating together to do evil, which is, you know, ha has some history. But um, collaborators tend to sometimes have a negative term. But honestly, what I think of all of this software, whether it's blogs or wikis or microblogging or activity streams or liking or friending or plus oneing or any of these things that we're doing these days, the reason we're doing them is for people to work together to get their jobs done. 
There's external social media where you're engaging customers and doing all of these things. There's internal where you're actually working together and sharing and doing files and research together and answering customer support and all of those things that you do. So I honestly call it collaboration. I have never heard of a CXO level executive that has come and said, you know, we need some of this social stuff. You know, can you make my, you know, I hate to speak. To say it, but you know, I, I hear a lot of marketing people saying, you know, we're making your business social, things like that. I have not spoken to a customer that has said, you know, we want to be more social. They they say we want our people to engage our customers better. They say we want our employees to have access to each other and resources better. I don't think a lot of people are buying into the word social, or I should be more fair and say I don't think a lot of people understand what the word social means as far as getting work done. Um, we as vendors, I was as guilty as anybody two or three years ago, kind of shot ourselves in the foot by constantly using the, you know, consumer tool X for the enterprise metaphor, yeah. Facebook for the enterprise, Twitter for the enterprise. We did a big disservice by doing that because now that ingrained into everyone's heads. Well, I don't want Facebook at work. I don't want Twitter at work. You know, we should have kind of concentrated on the, how do you make your, your collaboration tools better? So I'm not sure if I answered your, your question. You know, what do I call it? Uh, you know, what's the name of my report going to be? It's probably going to be something along the lines of, you know, the collaboration vendor landscape, but I, I don't know yet. Okay. And, and, and actually that's an interesting point is it's, it's all part of the same continuum. You know, if we go right back to the, you know, early days of email and instant messaging and, you know, some of the other tools that have come from that blogging and so on, it's just all part of that same chain. It's just a different emphasis to, to the way we collaborate. And I guess that brings us on to some of the vendors. And I don't want to kind of ask you too many questions about this report you're coming up with, but there are very definitely almost two camps of vendors here, aren't there? There's the sort of traditional ones, you know, Microsoft and, um, IBM and, and some and Oracle and so on, who have been in this space for a very long time, and then some of the newer startups, Jive and Sociotex, and some of the others, Yammer. Um, do, do you see them all, all competing sort of together for, for um, you know for the revenue that's out there for this social business type tooling, or do you see them almost it, it, different um, customers are going to to kind of the the type of vendor they feel most comfortable with? So some vendors, some customers are sticking with vendors they've worked with for a long time. IBM, Microsoft, they're in one of those camps, or you know, or are sort of smaller customers, more dynamic customers going to some of the startups because that's where they feel most comfortable. Uh, so there, I, I'm seeing both. So you've got for for the large vendors, the IBMs and the SAPs and the you know sales forces of the world. They have an existing customer base that, if at all possible, obviously would like to stay with the, the vendor that they're already dealing with. You've got smaller companies that are going to the smaller startups because you know they don't feel the bigger companies are going to treat them. Uh, as equals, you know, you're not going to have an IBM sales rep worrying about a 200 person deal, uh, you know, to install collaboration tools. But there's the converse of, of each of those situations. You have the customers who are dealing with the large enterprises, you know, company X may have some IBM uh, software, some, some Microsoft software that are wanting to be more cutting edge that are going to go install one of the smaller vendors, um, you know, a Yammer, a Jive, a Social Cast, a Social Text, a Thought Farmer, you know, all of these different ones. So you have big organizations spending a lot of money on these startups now. So um, 
you also see the inverse. You do have some small companies kind of jumping into the lighter weight offerings by the big vendors. So uh, Salesforce.com, for example, knows very well that they made their their mark with small companies. They have all the small companies out there in the world um, using them for CRM. So when it comes time to look at what collaboration tools they're using, that was a very smart move with you know Chatter to hook in more license seats, more users from their existing CRM base uh, into these small companies. So Salesforce, while we think of them as a huge corporation like a Microsoft or an IBM because they're a billion-dollar organization, they're very different. They're a billion-dollar organization built off of millions of small companies rather than big ones. And they're trying to do the inverse. They're now trying to go after enterprises. So Benioff and at Dreamforce and you know, over the last year has made it quite clear that Salesforce.com doesn't want to just be for SMBs. They want, you know, 10, 15, 20, 100,000 person accounts as well. So they started with small companies and are going after big. And then the IBMs and the Microsofts that had big companies are, are going after small. So I guess I essentially just explained a story of a very complex matrix where you've got the startups and the established vendors each trying to find their niche with small companies and with big companies. Interesting. And it's a very kind of mixed up market, isn't it? It's not as, as straightforward as, as many folks would have it, um, you know, laid out. And how, how about verticals that are taking on these kind of social business tools? Do you see, um, you know, particular verticals being, um, you know, very forward with some of this stuff? Do you see particular verticals and industries that are holding back because it's just not so instinctive for them? Yeah, that that's exactly what's happening. People are, are starting to talk about social of, of, Far more than just now, how do I do microblogging and how do I do blogging, but instead, how do I tie things into my existing business processes? That is the major thing that is going to help this industry move forward. So those business processes that people are going after are things like uh, last year, very, very buzzword compliant with social CRM. Everything was about how, how do you improve the social aspects of the customer engagement process? How do you take that from the external, do social media monitoring, bring it internally, discuss those things, respond back to customers? How do you, you know, make them feel more valued, et cetera? You know, I don't want to do a whole social CRM talk right now, but there's some, some great stuff out there. Yeah. You know, look at people like Samir Patel and Paul Greenberg and others that are just gurus on, on social CRM. CRM. But now this year, I'm hearing less about social CRM and hearing a lot about the human capital management space, talent management. And I know there's a lot of people that hate those acronyms and those words. And, you know, but essentially what that means is the HR focused side of things. So instead of the customer engagement and support side and marketing side, now HR is a big thing. So how do you improve recruitment? How do you find talent to employ? Once you found that talent, how do you improve the onboarding process? Once they've been onboarded, how do you improve the education process? So a lot of things are moving to um, HR related now. Do Will in the next few years, will you see that, you know, be more specific to the legal functions? Will you see it, uh, you know, in medical? Will you see it in real estate? You know, I think all of these things you're, you're going to find once people take these tools for granted, and they become, you know, dial tone, just like we have, we all have a website, we all have e-commerce, and we all have email now, when social is just accepted that, you know, you're going to publish content openly, it's going to have like buttons on it, you're going to have comments and feedback, then it's going to move beyond, okay, explain to me why I should have this. And instead, it's going to be every industry is going to know that they're going to need it. So definitely verticals are becoming extremely important. You're going to see that in government. You're going to see it in medical. And each of those, just like collaboration before, whether it was instant messaging or email, 
each of those verticals is going to have a set of rules that are going to have to be established around social. So how are you going to do HIPAA compliancy? How are you going to do um, you know, all of these different things that legal or medical or financial institutions require? How do banking industries become social? You know, a lot of business partners and things, you know, I, I, I would encourage people to start diving into that. It's not an area that, you know, I admittedly have a huge uh, amount of expertise in currently, but if people were starting to plan, what should they think about as far as making money for themselves over the next few years? Imagine if you were the expert on how banks can handle social, um, you know, you'd be able to write your own ticket. Absolutely. There's a huge market out there, isn't there, that just isn't really being tapped right now. And and dragging it back to, to IBM for the moment, there was a big announcement last week. I'm not sure whether you followed it, but um, Notes and Domino customers are now entitled to have certain aspects of connections in their environment for, for no extra charge, profiles and file sharing. Um, how do you see this? Do you think that be, that's going to be a big, a big move for IBM to start sort of seeding some of the smaller parts of connections into some of those customers that haven't looked at it so far? Well, yes, I I don't have statistics on what deployments are like and what their market's like. I'm going to, you know, obviously I'll be learning more about IBM, but I think in general, it's, you know, it's a known thing that a huge amount of their customer base is an existing customer base using the Notes and Domino platform. So it absolutely is a great idea to get any of the newer technologies they can into the hands of your existing customer base. This is nothing new. We saw them do it with same time, enable, you know, license enablement, you know, when same time was originally, you know, its own standalone thing. Well, it still is standalone, but I mean, to get it more integrated with the rest of their existing customer base, what do you do? You give it to the people that are using your product. So I'm excited to see you know them in, in enhancing the the features that people are going to be able to use. I'm not exactly sure how simple it is. Like, is there a web-based existing cloud offering that Domino customers can connect to, or just because you've given them these free licenses for files and profiles, does that mean they still have to install their own connections instances and have them housed inside? Like, the licenses are free, but is it still too complex for anyone to actually dive into doing it? You know, you you know that better than I do, uh, so I'm not exactly sure what the answer is. But you know, my general answer, absolutely. You know, seed your existing market. It costs, I, you know, I forget the exact stat. I'll make it up. You know, seventy percent less to upsell your existing customer base than it does to acquire a new customer. So, very smart move on IBM's part. Okay, and and uh, just to answer that question, um, there is still the complexity of an on-premise install. It, it's not a cloud-based offering. It's not a kind of pre pre-installed um, you know appliance type install. It, it needs to be installed on-premise, and that's where partners like Collaboration Matters and others are kind of stepping in to fill the void of, of getting those uh, small connections installs up and running quickly for those customers. Okay. Um, and, and the other announcement that came out of IBM last week um, was, was the XWork server. And uh, again, Alan, not, not sure if you're familiar with this, but it's basically Domino, but licensed on a on a fixed price uh, offering for customers to run external facing websites and, and applications on. Um, you know, it's just two thousand dollars per server per year, so really low cost, um, no no limits on numbers of users that can hit it. And and I guess that opens up a question again, sort of falling back to your kind of heritage in in the notes and Domino space, but um, if you speak to customers, do you still see them seeing Domino as a good platform for social apps if, if they're looking to build social apps themselves? Uh, okay, well, perhaps unfairly, but it's just not the market I've been in lately. I, I haven't heard a lot of 
domino specific requests over my last three years. But then again, I, you know, I don't hear SharePoint specific requests. I hear customers asking about, you know, these are the types of things we want to do. These are the types of things we want to build. And then it's up to the vendors, the analysts, the business partners to kind of express to them what platform uh, they could build those on. This XWorks server is going to provide a huge opportunity for partners to offer applications to be built without, you know, specifically explaining, hi, I'm building you a Domino app. Instead, it's, oh, do you need an application to improve your customer support organization? You know, what forms and fields do you have to fill in? Uh, you know, are you building a, you know, an HR app? Are you building a CRM app? What, whatever they are, I think there will now be an opportunity for for IBM business partners to build solutions for their customers without having to be as specific. You know, customers don't specifically come and say, build me a WebSphere app or build me a Domino app. They, they to the best of my knowledge, approach their, their partners or their consultants or their vendors and say, you know, this is what we're wanting to build. You explain to me how to build it. I was back uh, a part of the original utility server team, and that was to be quite honest, that was kind of the thought behind utility server at the time was build an app and put it on your extranet and, you know, have a million people hit it type of thing. But I know there was all sorts of licensing restrictions and things. So I will try to my best to get up to speed with how those offerings differ. And uh, I'm sure people like yourself and, and my good friend Ed will uh, be happy to get me up to speed with the differences between X servers and utility servers and <laughs> live servers and hosted servers. And there, there's definitely some complexity out there. There is. I look forward to your views when you've heard all that stuff and when you come up to speed. It'll be good to hear. And, and to, to close off our, our discussion, because we're coming to the end of the time, we had kind of budgeted for this. Alan, um, you know, if, if customers are out there and, and they're interested in you moving to Constellation and they want to read more about the, the stuff you're putting out there, are you still blogging? Is that the way you're getting out some of your kind of news and views or should they be waiting for this report to come through? No, no, it's not just am I still blogging. I'm actually going to dramatically, hopefully, enhance the amount of blog. My blogging died off over the last year, just just like many people's had. And you know, whether it's because I'm doing shorter little bursts on Twitter and Google Plus and and things or not. But one of the things I'm excited about is I, I literally have a list of probably 300 little hey blog about this topics. So and now if I can start cranking a few of those out per week, um, I'll be doing that. So people can still visit my website, alanlepofsky.net. My, my blog post will be there. Though Many of them will be resurfaced at constellationrg.com, so constellationresearchgroup.com. Um, so I will be blogging more, and those blogs are a way of getting the lightweight things that I'm thinking about out there and sort of establishing, here's my view on things, here's my style on things. The larger reports will be things that you know, will be available through Constellation. I probably won't be publishing the reports on my blog, but I'll be publishing the the things that lead up to understanding of them. So, uh, you know, right away, even if just in the last couple, you know, the last week or so, I've probably blogged three or four times, which is something I, I don't think I blogged three or four times in a week o over the last year. So just little lightweight thoughts. They may not be huge thought leadership things, but, you know, one of the things that had been bugging me is about all this discussion around user interfaces because of all the things that are happening on Facebook and all the things that are happening on Google. Google Plus and everyone having their opinion about user experiences. You know, I just put out a super quick, you know, one paragraph long blog post that just said, you know, I don't think it's a matter of simplicity. I think it's a matter of consistency. So whether Facebook is overly complex or not is less relevant to me. As long as they do the same things the same ways, if I push the buttons in the same spaces, you know, that's what makes a good UI to me. So just a lot of those little things that are in my head, I want to start blogging about.
Excellent. And it's great to see your blog still listed on Planet Lotus as well, because although you're covering you know, independent stuff these days and you were covering some social text, it's really good to still have that filtering through with the rest of the Lotus-focused news that we see on Planet Lotus, because it's, it's really great to see that kind of independent view coming through. So I'm really pleased about that. Well, I'm glad I'm still listed there as well. And I definitely, probably more relevant now than, you know, I appreciate people putting up with me over three years of, of not ta- talking about Notes Domino and, and talking about social text, but there will be Lotus content there now. Actually, ironically, I had forgotten about this. My first blog post, not just one of the ones I did last week, but the first blog post I did in my new role was actually about the, the 8.5.3 announcement. So that wasn't planned. That wasn't, uh, there was no coup behind that, but it is kind of funny that my first blog post was about Lotus. So <laughs> excellent. That's my next good. one was about Jive. So there you go. I'm being equally, uh, equal opportunity. Yeah. Mix it up. It's great. And then do you think we'll see you at Lotus Fair this year? Do you imagine being there? I absolutely imagine I'll be there. I don't don't haven't booked my ticket yet, but I, I can't envision me not being there. Hopefully, IBM will want me there. I won't have uh, done anything to get in their bad graces by then. <laughs> Unlike some others, I should think. Okay, Alan, I really appreciate you joining us uh, today. It's really great to have you on this week in Lotus. And as I say, I really look forward to some of the stuff you're going to do with Constellation and some of the reports you're going to put out there. I think it's really going to add to the analyst scene. So, um, so it's great to have you kind of back in that role. Thank you very much. It's great to connect with you again, and I'm sure we'll be talking more. And thank you for providing me this opportunity. And to all the listeners out there, I look forward to trying to uh, help you the best I can moving forward. Okay. Take care, Alan. Bye. Have a good day. Bye. So that was my conversation with Alan Lepofsky. It took place on Friday this week. It was great to catch up with Alan after uh, some of the movements of the last few months and, and certainly to talk about his new role with uh, Constellation. It sounds like he's got some exciting times ahead of him. Um, in terms of what's been going on around the Lowe's community the last week or so, um, I could probably fill you in on what happened at Lola. Uh, there were some tremendous announcements, some great previews, some wonderful demos and some fantastic uh, highlights of what's going to come at Lotusphere. So let me kick off. Or perhaps I won't, since uh, I'd only have to kill you all if I did or something anyway. Uh, that'll all have to uh, to remain a secret until the Lotus Sphere. Um, but uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Alan. I'm sorry it's a short This Week in Lotus for this week. We'll be back for a more normal episode of This Week in Lotus uh, sometime towards the end of this week coming. So until then, this was This Week in Lotus. Bye. All opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the participants only and do not necessarily represent those of their employer.